you have your Bibles, I want you to look at Galatians chapter 4. I want to read first the first verse here to you, or the, verse, the, the key verse, verse number 4. If you look at your Bibles, please, it says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. I just want to take the phrase, the fullness of the time, and then just maybe put that as the title, the fullness of the time. I don't know about you, but I sense that there are some dramatic changes that are happening in the world today, in our culture. There's a lot of things that I hold dear to me uh, that are being taken away, it seemed like, even overnight. And uh, some of those things um, could cause discouragement. So I don't think there could have been a better song this morning to sing. Um, Abigail, I appreciate that. But there is a need for us to focus on some of the things that would help us as believers uh, to understand the times, the fullness of the time. Um, and, and, and this particular verse, verse number four, we see that that is mentioned. The Apostle Paul, like an attorney uh, for God, writes in a way that we can understand, understanding somewhat of the law and understanding perhaps the response of man, he begins to give us a few things to think about. And so if we were to back up a little bit from that verse and go back to the previous chapter with me, if you have your Bibles open, look at verse number 26 of the third chapter, and it gives us a little bit more. If you were to take notes, I would have, first of all, the promise explained. Um, That's the first thing I want to do is explain the promise. The second thing would be the prophetic evidence that we are heirs with Christ. Then the procedure enhanced, we see that, and how is it done? And then the purpose explained. Uh, those are uh, four really simple ways to remember this particular passage. You may not hear those words from me again. I will not go back over the outline, but I will enhance the outline as I continue to to teach, I believe, what is an accurate account of this particular passage. And so, as we're looking, though, at verse number 26, if you have your Bibles open, Paul is explaining that it's made in the promise that was according to the seed of, of, of Abraham. And how does that tie in with us? Um. You know, I, I think that there are a lot of racial divisions today that don't need to be there. Uh, more education is not going to help that. What's going to help the understanding of racial division is what God has in mind when it comes to the races. And, and it helps us understand the cultures a little more, but understand also that we are one in Christ. We are divided without Christ, but we are one in Christ. Uh, it seems like the whole understanding is being attacked today that we can love one another and we can provide for one another. But that can't happen outside of the understanding that God created every single person on the earth. But he also desires for them to be saved and for them to be able to work together and to be able to blend together in what he wants to have as his kingdom and for all those that have been washed in the blood, and for all those that have their name written in the Lamb's book of life, we understand that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And so that's the answer, is the gospel. And being able to get that into the darkness of these communities. And by the way, the culture is becoming more dark, less light, not because of evil, but because of the lack of light. And remember that God did destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, not because of the wickedness, but because of the lack of righteousness. And so if you were to write out on a 3 by 5 card, what does God desire for me to be righteous, and how does he desire for me to do that, that would be a good thing for us to focus then on what we can do to be able to be light in this dark world in which we live in. Not being part of the problem, not muddying the water, but being able to walk in truth and being authentic. And the battle against that authentic believer is so strong today. But we turn to Christ for strength. And he does. Verse number 26 reads of chapter 3, it says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in in Christ Jesus. For as many as you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, this is not talking about physical baptism. This is talking about spiritual baptism. There needs to be a spiritual renewal within your heart. Otherwise, it is dark and it is of this world. In verse number 28, it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you be in Christ, in the the Greek you could say, since you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so we read this sometimes as a supposition, but it is a confirmation if you have trusted Christ as your personal Savior. And since you have received him, now you are part of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And again, we understand this according to the word of God. In verse number one, it says, now I say, so since I've said all of that, now I'm saying this that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be the Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. And even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So there are several things, I think, to take in consideration as we're interpreting this portion of Scripture. And I think if we were to look at it in the view of the Greek-Roman culture, of course, the context itself reveals that our Father is sovereign, and with his sovereignty as well as his his authority concerning the issue. And so we submit to him. He is the Father. And we look to our Lord and saying he is the King of kings. But he is our Father, an affectionate term. And I think we see that throughout the whole portion of Scripture here, that then the context itself reveals that our Father is sovereign. And in his sovereignty as well as authority concerning the issue, I remember reading what Paul Chapel wrote concerning this particular verse. It's, it was the date was set by the Father when the children should attain their maturity and be freed from the guardians then into the, that what was promised to them. So let me first give you a little bit of a consideration here concerning the time. And so that's mentioned here in the portion of Scripture in verse number 4 again. Again, when the fullness 
of the time was come. And so we're going to consider the time. God had promised to send his son into the world. Uh, we know that because he did that according to the book of Genesis. If we were to turn there, we would see that God promised to crush the serpent's head. And uh, we see that happen about 4,000 years earlier. And, uh, and it seemed to have been waiting for that fullness of the time. Uh, also, up to this point, man had been under the bondage of the law for approximately 1,300 years. And so the law had been quite uh, um, expanded. Um, not only was there the law, but there was then personal laws, maybe things that people actually put in place that would be a little more stronger than the law itself, because that's what we do sometimes. Sometimes we try to break it down and make it into what we want it to be, so we lessen the law, uh, but it is what it is. And so it was, it, was under, it was actually in place, and they were under it. And so this culture, if you were to look at it, um, from a biblical perspective, we must consider Old Testament prophecy if we are going to sound, be sound in our interpretation of the, of the verse. The time was fixed, by the way, and we have internal evidence from the minor prophet Haggai. According to Haggai, the Messiah would come while the temple was still standing. And however, there is more accurate understanding of this, or as far as prophecy is concerned, because of the prophecy of Daniel. Daniel writes in extensively concerning a timeline, and he, you can look at his book, and, and it can be explained a little bit further that Daniel was actually giving us a, a timeline on how we could know when the Messiah would be cut off. And uh, and so 70 weeks of Daniel, we've turned to that many times. The 70 weeks are, were 70 uh, periods of years, of seven years, uh, or 490 uh, years uh, from the time of Artaxerxes gave permission to rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah was cut off. And, cut off. and of course, we have, are leaving out one week, which has not been fulfilled yet, the seven-year tribulation to the Jew. And sometimes when we're reading the Scriptures and we see that these commandments were given to the Jews, we understand that God is not done with the Jews yet. And so some of these prophecies are in place, and they apply to the Jewish people. The church is separate. The church, although there are perhaps some people today that would like to blend the two together, the Jewish people still have seven years to fulfill through a great tribulation that will happen to the Jewish people and all those that have not trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Now, I understand there's Messianic Jews, and I understand there's Jews that have been saved. They're going to go with us in the rapture, and I understand that. But there's still one week that's not fulfilled, and that's what we see uh, now um, getting more and more uh, ripe toward, we understand that there will be uh, a tribulation after the Christians are removed. And so, but Daniel gives us a little bit more of a timeline on the fulfillment of it. And then talks about, God says to the people to seal this up until that particular time that uh, we then learn a little bit more as we, as we go um, from the scriptures, of course. But it's interesting when we think about this, though, that a great but not well-known expository preacher named Charles Simeon wrote this. I read it this week. It says, Thus the fullness of the time was come, because it was the time ordained by God in His eternal counsels. 
and made uh, known to be uh, to the world by his holy prophets. And so we study the Bible and we see that the minor prophet Haggai and also the, 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 uh, the major prophet Daniel, one of the major prophets, is actually telling us and showing us that we will know the timeline. And so when the fullness of the time was come, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And we look at this and say, wow, how glorious. It even tells us in, in, in Malachi or in, in Micah chapter 4, I think verse number 2, it gives us an understanding of him coming to Bethlehem. And so we understand that this was going to take place, and it did take place. All of us know that a few months away we're going to get ready for Christmas, and maybe some of you are already doing that. You say, Pastor, it's too soon to be talking about Christmas. You realize it's almost October, folks? It's coming pretty fast. Um, I know we just started September, but uh, October's right around the corner. And, uh, and uh, one of my most favorite holidays is Thanksgiving. And uh, Thanksgiving is always a joy because we're with the family. And it's a time for us to be thankful. But as we think about this, and I use it many times for people that uh, when I'm witnessing to them, I'll say, do you believe that Jesus Christ came the first time? And many of them agree with me. Um, They look forward to Christmas. And I say, well, how do you know that he came? Well, the Bible tells us that. Well, he also tells us he's going to come again. But this passage is used a lot of times for people to be able to look to and say, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, being Jesus. And the story is incredible to me, uh, how humble Jesus was to leave everything from heaven, the splendors of it. And and maybe you don't really think about heaven too much, but as you get older, you start thinking about it. You know, it seems like lately I've been with a lot of sick people. And uh, some people don't make it out of their sickness, and they enter into the eternal bliss, if you would. Where are they going to go? What is it like? Uh, Do I know people there? Uh, These are questions people have, and... Sometimes it it gets us to where we start to ponder this and consider things. And I think this is good for us to consider this today. Considering the manner of God sending us his only begotten son will give us a more sound information concerning, I think, two areas that need to be addressed in this particular passage. And let me just give you those two. Um, And and I think they're important uh, for us to be able to consider. The first one... Uh, that is addressed here, I think, is, is that where it says made of a woman. What is that talking about? What does the expression mean? I think it really is an expression and a rea- re- reality that this reveals the virgin birth is made of a woman. You know, I think it, it kind of shows us that, that uh, there was no father here other than the father of heaven. And so we know that this was... Uh, an understanding to be able to give us the biblical truth of Jesus being born of a virgin. Um, Galatia, of course, mentioned earlier in Sunday school, this area is not a town or a city, but a vast region of these people that were known as Galatian Celts. And they were probably introduced to Hellenism, and Hellenism is a a polytheistic religion that does not believe that God sent Jesus to be the only begotten of the Father. 
And so they reject him. And so it's interesting that he writes this into Galatians. He is actually showing the culture and letting them know that Jesus Christ is the only begotten of the Father. Certainly there are going to be people that are born again and part of the family of God. And certainly we are going to be heirs with Christ. I understand that. But there needed to be an emphasis upon Jesus Christ alone. He was the holy sacrifice. He was the pure, impeccable one that could only take away the sins of the world was Jesus alone. And he wanted to emphasize that, that he was the only begotten of the Father. And our Savior was formed in the womb of a virgin. And this is, this is revealed in the statement made of a woman. And so I think it's important for us to understand that as, as we look at the passage. And also, this statement refers to the book of Genesis, which points to the seed of a woman. And the seed will, be, will, will of course, bruise or break. I looked up that word this week again, bruise, uh, the serpent's head. And, and that particular word in the Hebrew means to break or to overwhelm and to be able to conquer uh, Satan and crush his head. And Jesus Christ was prophesied 4,000 years that he would come. And here he comes in the passage. And he writes it out. When the fullness of the time was come, Jesus was born. Jesus was not connected to, to, to Abraham as we think about this as far as sin is concerned. Or Adam, I should say. And, and uh, another statement, of course, that's addressed is made under the law here in the passage. It says here really quickly uh, in verse number, th- number four, it says, God sent his son made of a woman and made then under the law. What is that talking about? How was he made under the law? Was not connected to Adam in the sense that he was under the curse of the law. Remember that Jesus did not sin. He was not a sinner. You and I are. He was the only one that was able to be without sin. However, being being placed into a Jewish home with strong Jewish tradition and strong Jewish laws, he was made under the authority of the law. Jesus was made under the law, so that means that he was subject to the ceremonies of the law and the rituals, the Mosaic rituals, were followed along with circumcision and attending, of course, all of the feasts. Jesus was part of that. And keep in mind that Jesus came to do what the law could not do, and that is to redeem us and to redeem those that are under the law. I think that if we understand a little bit more practicality of this particular passage, and we're talking about the culture, there's an insight here, I really really believe, that Rome had conquered basically the whole earth at this particular time. And so we know that the Roman culture was law-oriented, that it was strong, army-oriented. This plays into the Great Commission, I think, in many ways. Because the the Roman people and that culture literally paved the way of travel with the roads and engineering. They were able to make the roads easy to travel on. I was coming down the road today. Don't you think almost every road in Madison's getting construction these days? Let's have some devotional thoughts now concerning that. If I skip over to Cottage Grove and try to come in, after weaving out of traffic and all kinds of mess because of the construction, and if I cut up on AB and hit Buckeye, I have a mess too. 
But, uh, and, and why is it that when no one's working, they still have those barrels out and those signs? I don't know. Just a thought. But I shouldn't pick on them because maybe there's a worker here today listening to me. Thank you for all your work on the roads. I was looking at Buckeye today coming in, and I'll tell you, it's as smooth as can be. They not only took out the old blacktop and got rid of it, but they put some new stuff down with gravel. And once they got it all done and they got it settled, I thought that was it, but they put another big coating on top of that, another like four inches of asphalt on top of that. I think you could take a bicycle down Buckeye and get up going pretty fast on it. And uh, just as smooth as can be. You know, through the years, we've been able to kind of uh, perfect the way the roads are made here. Now, up here in the north, it's a problem because it gets really icy and everything expands and contracts. And, you know, even some of the things where water falls into even a, some kind of a tree in the field where it'll rain one day or something out in the woods and, and then it'll icen up and it'll freeze and it'll expand and that limb will fall and break and crack because of it. And so the concrete does too. But the Greeks were able to, I should say the Roman people, were able to make the roads that were actually made so that you could travel easily. It plays right into the Great Commission. I think it gives a new light to the Romans' road, don't you? You ever take someone through the Romans' road? Let me take you through the Romans' road. You know, Romans chapter 3, verse number 10. Romans 3.23. You know, Romans 5.8. Romans 6.23. And, and again, other portions of the Scripture. But there's the Romans' road, and it kind of plays into the idea that the Romans were really good with roads. But it's interesting as we think about it, because this really was... I think plays into the Great Commission it kind of proves that it was the fullness of the time for Jesus to come. It plays into the Great Commission and the idea of the Romans' road of leading people to Christ as well as a need for the whole world to hear the gospel. So this culture also was saturated with the Greek language. The culture was losing interest in their pagan gods and in their pluralistic variety It was not bringing satisfaction to the common man. John Stott wrote this. He wrote, At the same same time, the old mythological gods of Greece and Rome were losing their hold on the common people so that the hearts and minds of men everywhere were hungry for a religion that was real and satisfying. Interesting that we look at when the fullness of the time was come, Jesus Christ came, and we see that the culture was actually pointing to his coming because of not only the Roman roads, but also the Greek language being able to be used then to convey the wonderful truth of the gospel because people were ready for something sound and real and truthful and that would change their lives. And the gospel of Christ does that. It does that today. God still works in his church. He still wants you to, to come to Christ. And maybe you're here today and you still rejected him. What are you waiting for? Come to Christ. He will save you. Many times we look at this particular passage perhaps in a light that would uh, show us a little more concerning the Lord. But I was thinking about this whole thing of adoption. Because we see this in verse number 5. Uh, of course, we look at the purpose of his coming then to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And so when we're talking about redemption, we're talking about adoption. These are biblical terms. 
when we're talking about this whole thing concerning uh, how the Lord Jesus Christ would redeem us. I've told you uh, about a fellow that I was able to um, help right at the end of his life. He was in his late 90s or mid-90s, and he was a lawyer in town. I've talked about him recently, and DeWitt was his name. And uh, when he was at the point of dying on his deathbed, they asked me to come in and pray with him. And I did. His daughter made the arrangements. I met his wife, and uh, he was a general in the uh, World War II. And uh, when he got out of the war, he was, went right into law school and was one of the great lawyers here in Madison. And talking to his wife, he was trying to do the best he could for people so that they could actually have somebody that would fight for them. And, uh, but toward the end of his life, his daughter went in and took him to the scriptures, and he trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And sometimes we have all of these other things that we rest on, but he didn't find, too, didn't find true rest until he trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And what a blessing it was, it was to talk to him. But he said, Dean, he said, redemption is a powerful word. And he said that in a way that he was setting me a clue, in a way that he was redeemed. Um, And the only way that we can be redeemed is by the blood of Christ. What does it mean to be redeemed? It means to be purchased. We know that there is a purchased possession that's mentioned in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 13, that we are that purchased possession, and Jesus Christ purchased us through his blood. Uh, He gave his life on the cross, and he laid it down so that we could live. Of course, he rose the third day to prove that he is Jesus Christ, the King, the Lord of Lords. And so we actually understand a little bit more of redemption. But it mentions here that we are to be to redeem. And so this is why God sent his son. He sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. So the law can't save. Amen? So if it, Jesus came to do what the law couldn't do. We see that in Romans chapter 8. I think a lot of times we look to the law and think, well, if I keep the law, I'll be fine. Can I reassure you this morning that the law never saved anybody? The law was a schoolmaster to show you that you need Jesus Christ. And when the light goes on in your brain and you begin to say, now I understand, Jesus, I believe at that time, draws you even more closer to himself. and says, now I can save you. Because you understand that this, 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 this mount of legality is hurting you. Well, I did this, and I did this, and I did this. God says that our righteousness is like a filthy rag. So we must trust Jesus, the impeccable one. What happens with this law? Sometimes people actually make their own laws through it all. You've got to do this, this, and this to be saved. When the Spirit of God never even places that upon you. And I think a lot of times we would understand that the law really kills, but the Spirit makes alive. And the Spirit quickens us. If I were to be down or discouraged one day, would I take a book of law and read through it? When I get discouraged, do I read through the book of Leviticus? Real slow? And look at what the priest had to give for the sin of the people. 
when I was depressed? No, the law shows that you and I are not good enough. What I want to read about is the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8 and how that the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in our mortal bodies. Can you imagine that? The Spirit of God that breathed into the nostrils of Jesus Christ to give Him life lives in you. That'll quicken you. That'll give you strength and understanding. That's why we received the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just know it up here, fellas. Not up here, ladies. Not up here. But right in here, where we've received him. Now it's all about Jesus. Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. Sin had left a what? Crimson stain. But he washed it white as snow. Oh, though your sin be as scarlet, it shall be as white as snow. Through Jesus alone, not through your works of righteousness, not through the law. We are saved by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. The law kills, but the Spirit makes alive. You see, one of the tragedies of laws is we call that legalism. And it gives us really the appearance of spiritual maturity because we're holding to what we would say is the law. We do certain things this way and that way, and since we're keeping the law, we're mature spiritually. You know, you can teach little children to do a certain thing the same way all the time, and they'll do the same thing. But they may not be mature. I don't think that dogs ever mature. But you can teach them some good tricks, can't you? You know, someone said that their dog was standing on two legs and dancing the other day. I don't think so. I think the dog was just doing everything he could to stand up straight. But they were saying, no, he's dancing. See, he can do that. Kind of getting off on the subject a little bit. Sometimes we have a tendency to think that just because we keep all of these laws that we're spiritually mature. No, it's not true. And someone needs to tell you that. You need to know that the most humblest person maybe perhaps has a trouble with things in their life and they may not always be there at church and they may not always do what you think they need to do. They might have carried their Bibles to work. They may not ever memorize a verse, but they're a child of the king. Sometimes I see the most immature people trying to keep the law for their own righteousness. I see, I see also that why, why do you think that perhaps legalism is attractive? You know? Well, I, because people think it makes them a better Christian if you keep the law. Well, I, I, I do this and I do that, and I do this and I do that. So I'm a better Christian than you are. You know what? God doesn't look at your doings. He looks at who you really are. He looks at the heart. I think being also because the law enables them to measure external results. We need some kind of external showing that we're keeping the law of God. I remember years ago I had a fellow that came to church here to a funeral. And uh, he had long hair. But it was kind of on one side, went long over his eye, down. He was a painter in Madison. And I remember 
being at a funeral and then at the graveside ceremony, I saw him behind a bush and he was just kind of hiding himself. I gave the gospel both at the funeral here at church and also at the graveside ceremony. And I think it was one of the first ones I did. And Pastor Dow was there helping a little bit in instruction and so on. I remember that man came to me not too long afterwards and told me that he asked Jesus Christ to save him. I was so thankful that he accepted Christ as his Savior. We baptized him. He was here for many weeks. And one time he came on a Sunday night. He learned that Christians come to church on Sunday evenings along with Sunday mornings. He wanted to do what's right. And I remember him sitting in the back and his hair never, ever changed. It was real long. And I was instructing on the Lord's Supper that night. And I was talking about how that the Bible says that if you have a little trouble with people wearing hats in church, if you want to wear them, you can wear them. You don't have to wear them. Because if there's, any, if there's any contention, there is no law in the church. It's also talking about, doth even nature teach us that a man should have what? Short hair? You know? And so it talks about how you shouldn't have long hair. It says right in the scripture, but I didn't read that portion of it. And he came to me afterwards and he said, look. He said, look. I shouldn't have this long hair. You know? How come you never told me? You know, and I told him, I mentioned his name, and I said, you know, we love you here. And we're more concerned about your heart than your hair. And Jesus is more concerned about your heart. Let, let's be careful that we don't think that we are better than someone else because we do something a little differently than someone else does. You may hurt them. You may hurt them for life. I think our desire would be to encourage and to be edifying people daily. I believe that's what God wants. But I think also because doing the law gives a false sense of accomplishment. Well, I did this. I did all of this. And here's the paperwork showing you that I did it all. You know, look what I accomplished. You can't accomplish anything that'll get you to heaven except for receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior and Him alone. Oh, if we understood this, we would actually be preaching it more often about how when the fullness of the time was come, God sent His Son to redeem man. I think it's important for us to understand this. And concerning the word adoption, I think it's interesting and and in closing, the picture of adoption is a beautiful picture of what God does for the Christian. In the ancient world, of the family was based on the Roman law, a Roman law called Patria Potestas. I don't know if I said that right, but it was father's power. The father's power concerning this adoption. They knew what he was writing about when he wrote to the church at Galatia. He, he, they knew what he was saying, the father's power. The law was given then. Uh, or the law gave the power, or the father, absolute authority over his children so long as the father lived. I mean, he had complete power over his kids. I mean, he could work, he could enslave them, he could, he could sell if he wished to, he could pronounce the death penalty upon his own children. Regardless of the child-adult age, the father held all power over the personal property of his children, and his, the father had the rights to it. It's pretty powerful. 
Therefore, the adoption was a serious matter, and yet it was a common practice to ensure that a family would not become extinct by having no male children. And when a child was adopted, three steps actually took place. Let me just give you these three. See if you can parallel them and place them and and, and see how they weave into the born-again Christian. The adopted son was adopted permanently. He could not be adopted today and then disinherited tomorrow. He became a son of the father forever. And he was eternally secure as a son. The adoption, number two, the adopted son immediately had all the rights of a legitimate son in the new family. So he was basically that father's child. Number three, the adopted son completely lost all rights in his old family. The adopted son was looked upon as a new person, so new that the old debts and the obligations connected with his former family were canceled and abolished as if they never existed. Pretty powerful. And we're talking about the adoption here in verse number 5. It says to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. But look at verse number 6 and 7. It says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so there is that relationship Verse number five, we identify through the Son. But we see the intimacy of the Spirit of God in verse number six. And because you are the sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit, capital S, of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son. And if thou son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Jesus Christ think about all of this, and I think about one fellow that I had a pretty good relationship. His name was Larry Sabinski, and he was in the Marines with me years ago. And now with the modern day technology, I was hoping to be able to find him someday. Larry, if you're listening, contact me. He was quite the Marine, always had chewing tobacco in his little lower lip. You know, uh, he walked like John Wayne. I always told you, I told you earlier, perhaps through this illustration, he used to wear his helmet to bed with him. You know. He's had his boots on all times. He was a Marine. Nothing seemed to bother him until the weight of sin hit his heart. He did something he should have never done. And he come and he started crying one evening, and I began to help him by taking him to the Romans Road. And I showed him how that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. I took him to John, I took him to Romans chapter 3, verse 10, and also 323. And it was easy to convince him that every person was a sinner. But you know what he told me? He said, even the priest is a sinner. And I said, hello. Hello, now you're getting it. After a while, he came back to me and he said, you know, I understand that, but what am I to do? I said, you need to keep reading in Romans, and he did. And he came to the verse number 8 of chapter 5, and he said, did you know that God even loved me, even though I made this mess of my life? He said, yeah, he loved you. 
He loves you so much, like a father loves you. And you can go to him. He said, I don't know if I can do that or not. He said, my mom and dad want me, they talk to them, they want me to go to the priest and go back home and be with them this weekend. I said, well, you could do that, talk to your parents. But I think you need to go right to God. And he did. He read on, and then later on he came to me and he said, Dean, I was... I got out of my bed. I was crying out of my bunk, and I just got on my knees right here in the squad bay. He was in a different area because I think I, at that time, was a PFC, and he was a corporal. He was in another area, a nicer area than I was. But he got out of his bed, and he knelt down next to his bed and said, Lord, I know I need you as my Savior. Would you forgive me? He said, Dean, I felt it. I know that Jesus Christ saved me. I was so happy. You know, Grace Baptist Church in Jacksonville, North Carolina, I took him there and course, I wanted the men to help him. and I don't know, we split up later on. I was, I was out of the Marines. I don't, I don't think uh, that was, I think that was toward the end of my time in the Marine Corps. But I just want to encourage you that maybe you have been religious. Maybe you have known of these things, but you've never received Jesus. He wants to adopt you. He wants to make you one of his own. He wants you to become his son. And by the way, when we talk about the fullness of the time, what a parallel. Do you realize that we could travel anywhere quickly today? And you know how cheap it is to fly right now because of COVID? The accessibility of travel is similar to what it was when he came the first time. Did you know also, dear friend, that English is pretty popular all around the world? I was coming here to church this week, and I, I saw a black lady walking down the road here, and I pulled my truck over, and I said, Ma'am, do you have a couple of sons? And she said, No, I just have one son. Her accent was from Nigeria. And I said, Well, I had a couple, I had a guy pull in, pull in our church parking lot here and dump a bunch of garbage into our dumpster, and, and he told me he had 10 brothers and sisters, and, and they, they have a mess in their garage. And I just want to let him know that he can dump his trash in our dumpster anytime he wants to. I just want to say I talked to your son, but it's not you. And she said, nope, I just have one boy. And then this great big huge fella came walking down behind her, and then she said good morning to him, and he said, oh, your accent. And they were both from Nigeria, never met each other. They're neighbors right down here. Just because I stopped to talk to her, they began to talk to each other. And they said, you know, uh, these languages, they're going back and forth in some language. I couldn't understand it at all. You know? So I felt kind of odd. I was like, should I just drive away or what? You know. And then they said to me, English is all over Africa. So we can understand English. I thought, wow. Did you realize that just like the Greek language was all over the world at that time, was when Jesus Christ came the first time? The roads were perfect. Do you see the parallel? There was racial fighting going on. We see that today. You know what I'm trying to tell you? is It's pretty ripe, dear friend. The fullness of the time is near again for the second coming of Jesus Christ. He came the first time to redeem. He's going to come the second time to bring us to his place. I was talking to Sharon last night. She couldn't quite understand me. She's... Not all there right now. But I said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for Sharon. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. It will come soon. We may be able to to understand this. Now remember, he could be 50 years from now, he could be coming. But I'm telling you what, it looks pretty ripe. The season and the times, we will know. Not the day of the hour. Let's keep ourselves clean. And let's walk uprightly. And let's make sure we tell others. It's so simple. It's as simple as giving them a track. This is a neat one. It says, responding to the coronavirus in the light of eternity. It's a new track we have. And they can read it and know about Christ. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. I don't know how the message was with you this morning. Maybe you understood these things already. But maybe God is working in you. And maybe you have not fully given Jesus Christ everything. I was talking to a Christian this week. It was miserable. And all I had to do was say, are you in the Bible? Are you praying? Are you walking with God? That's the problem. And maybe today you'd say, I I know Jesus is my Savior, but I'm not walking with him the way I need to walk with him. Then why don't you come and talk to God about that? Maybe it's for baptism. You've never been baptized by immersion, and you know that's your next step. You've trusted Jesus as your Savior, but now you need to be baptized as a believer. Then why don't you come? Maybe it's for church membership, or maybe it's just to pray. If you need to come, you can come. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just stand to your feet this this morning? Let's go ahead and pray. And as soon as I'm done praying, the invitation will begin. If you need to come, you come. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct. In Jesus' name, amen. stanza. If you need to come, just step out. Whatever your need is. blessing to have you here this morning, and I know that uh, you'd enjoy tonight if you come. Tonight, we, the way we do it is we have the Lord's Supper here. We talk about uh, and remember what he's done for us, and again, it's not nothing to do as far as gaining grace. We, we do it to remember uh, what he's done for us, and it's this, this due in remembrance of me, and so it's healthy for us to remember, amen, what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. So come tonight, six o'clock. And also after that, we'll have testimonies and look forward to this evening. Um, Let's go ahead and have Brother Raul. Could you make your way up here? Brother Raul, I I appreciate him. And again, many of you probably don't know, but they have built a house in Arizona, right? 
And so they're going to be selling their house, moving down there. Uh, I, I just said there's more COVID down there, more Corona down there than is up here, but uh, we're going to miss them. But uh, got a few more months yet, right? And so, yeah, but I uh, appreciate Brother Raul and his willingness always to, to help encourage uh, others. Appreciate Elena also and their family. Um, be in prayer for my, my aunt and be in prayer for Lee, if you would, this afternoon. Both of these need immediate prayer. And keep those in mind that have lost their spouses, especially the, the widows, if you could, contact them and let them know that you love them and care for them. Would you close our service with a word of prayer, Brother Raul? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to get together as believers, Father, as we come to praise you, Father, and to worship you. And thank you for the word of God this morning, Father, that you allowed us to see this morning that you had an appointed time when the Lord Jesus Christ would come to be a sacrifice for our sins, Father. And thank you for the promises that come with it. Lord, may we continue to trust you. May we continue to draw closer to you, Father. Lord, we ask again, Father, either here in this auditorium or in the online, Father, there's someone that doesn't know Christ as their personal Savior, that you would continue to work in their hearts and bring them to yourself through your Spirit. Father, thank you once again for everyone that is here. Dismiss us now with your blessing in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.